Today we're going to be talking about Easter impact. Because if Jesus is alive, and that's what we proclaim on this Easter Sunday, then it changes things, and it changes them drastically. It has an impact far beyond one day a year. Now, I like a holiday as well as the next guy, and after this service, we're going to have a barbecue. Who could not be happy about that? People get my grand, one of my granddaughters is here today, dressed up to the nines, and I love her little outfit. She's, uh, well, anyway. <laughs> so all of that's great about Easter. We're going to have an egg hunt at our house this afternoon and all that. But the impact of Easter is far more than that, dear ones. It's life changing. And so we're going to talk about Easter's impact today. And I'm going to read at verse 1 of chapter 21. Here we go. Follow along with me. Now when they, <clears throat> excuse me, wrong book. I told you, John, somehow I ended up in Matthew. I could have faked it, but that wouldn't have worked so well. Here we go. Verse 1, chapter 21. John, after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias is the same as the Sea of Galilee. And uh, Jesus, most of his ministry took place in this region. So it's kind of home to him and his disciples. And... Um, it says, after these things, what things is this after? Well, this is after Jesus dying on the cross, rising from the dead, and showing himself to his disciples. In fact, if you went back to chapter 21 in this same book, you'd see that just before these words that we read, Jesus had appeared to his disciples in the upper room, and they are amazed and blown away, but one guy isn't there. His name is Thomas. Sometimes we talk of him as doubting Thomas because when the other disciples said to Thomas you won't believe what happened Jesus alive from the dead showed up here Thomas said well I'll believe that when I see it actually he said well I'll believe that when I can put my finger in the hole in his hands not long after that just in the verses before what we read you'll see that Jesus made a special appearance just for Thomas here you go, Tom. Put your finger in the holes. Thomas said, Lord, my Lord, my Lord. So after these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. These were all fishermen. They were all friends. They had all been co-workers in a way in the fishing trade. And they're all together. They, are, they have followed Jesus around uh, uh, Palestine for three years. They've seen him do amazing things. They've heard him teach these amazing things. They've come to believe that he is the Savior. They have seen him resurrected from the dead. They're hanging around together. And Peter in verse 3 says... I'm going to go fishing. What? Now, you need to understand that Peter is not talking about a recreational activity. This had been their life. This was how they understood themselves prior to Jesus interrupting the flow of their life. Their fathers had been fishermen. Their fathers before them had been fishermen. Since they were born, their identity was about fishermen. I am a fisherman. Jesus interrupted the flow of what had been a planned life 
redirected things and now in this kind of aftermath when they're sort of waiting on what comes next Peter wants to go back to what he knows he wants to go back to the life that he had and the rest of them say this well we'll go with you they went out and immediately got into the boat and that night they caught nothing so there's some serious issues going on here. These are not your run-of-the-mill, you know, uh, fishermen. These are pros, and they've been at it all night and have come up with zip. So their pride's on the line, their reputation's on the line. They're really struggling to figure out a way to make sure that this fishing expedition doesn't uh, become a liability for their future ability to uh, earn a living. And... It says, when the morning, verse 4, had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. So he shows up, but they don't know it. They're working away out there in the, on the sea. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you, ha have you any food? And that means, have you caught anything? You never say that to a fisherman who's worked all night and caught nothing. And you can pick it up in the sound of their reply, this very terse and, and uh, sharp and short response. They answered him, no. <laughs> Not, well, we're still working on it, and, you know, who are you anyway? But just, no. You know, that's what I would have done. And he said to them, Cast the, <laughs> cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. Like they haven't thought of this already, right? <laughs> One time when I was a young, much younger man, I was trying to uh, learn to play racquetball. Anybody know what that is? Anybody play racquetball anymore? Anyway, it was sort of a fad for a while. And you, you joined a club and in the, at the racquetball club, I don't know why, but the, the uh, courts were like... Uh, enclosed in glass so that everybody could watch you. It was like being in a fishbowl. And they had, besides that, they had bleachers and, you know, you could stand above the, the guys playing on the court and, I don't know, hoot and holler or whatever. Uh, that always bugged me a little bit. But I'm out there swinging my racket, trying to, you know, defeat my buddy. And the, in case you don't know, the, what you're really trying to do is hit the ball on the wall that's in front of you as low on the wall as you can so that it can't be returned, right? So I'm out there, and I, I know it's hard to imagine, but trust me, I was a younger man once, and I, <laughs> and anyway, I'm out there swinging my, my racket, and there was a break in the action, and some kid, some punk kid up in the bleachers looking down on us says, hey! Have you guys ever thought of trying to hit that ball really low on the wall so you're, you're you know, and I'm like, I wanted to shoot him. <laughs> and that's kind of what's going on here with Jesus. Hey, these are the professional fishermen. Hey, have you tried putting the net on the right side of the boat? Like, and they're so desperate, though. They do it. In the middle of verse 6, so they cast, and now... They were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, that's how John, the guy who's writing this gospel under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that's how he refers to himself. Just simply, the guy Jesus loved. He says, he says that um, 
Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, that's the Lord. It's the Lord. He doesn't say it's Jesus. He said, it's the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer, uh, outer garment. That would have been like a, a leather or some kind of water-resistant uh, fabric that would have been the fisherman's cloak, outer cloak. He's taking it off because he's been working so hard to catch fish. He straps it on, and it says he plunged into the sea. Now, there, we'll find out later they were only about 100 yards out, but Peter couldn't wait to get to Jesus. He had to go now, and he dives in and, and makes his way. Now, this story is just, or this part is just the beginning of a very beautiful story, but we're not going to deal with the rest of it. I just wanted to, for you to see with me these first seven verses of this chapter as we talk about Easter impact, because if Jesus is alive, dear ones, there's no going back. There's no going back. If Jesus is alive, it ruins you for being a good sinner. Honestly, you can't do it anymore. It's not the same. Whatever your life once was and however you, you know, uh, made your way in this world, once you encounter the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, is alive and has triumphed over death, how do you go back? How do you go back? You know, in fact, in Proverbs, it says that it's like a dog returning to its vomit. Who would want to? 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, All things have passed away. All things have become new. And the resurrection, the impact of the resurrection is to begin to point my life towards the future that God has for me, not the past I made for myself. But we're tempted, aren't we? So times like this, when we are reminded of the impact of our Savior's resurrection, is a time once again to say, wait a minute, I, I ain't doing that no more. I'm going forward. Another one of the impacts of, of Easter is that we get to expect surprise visits. The disciples that day, they weren't expecting Jesus to show up on the shore there. And I got to tell you, once you, once you embrace the fact that we have a risen Savior, guess what? He gets to show up whenever he wants to in my life. And he gets to say whatever needs to be said, even if it's something I don't want to hear, but need to so desperately. You know, one time, one time I was, uh, uh, I was a very young pastor. It was my first church, and I'm... I was at the church by myself in the office area. It was late. Everybody else had gone home. And uh, I'm just trying to finish up whatever I was doing so I could get home to my wife and kids. And there's a knock on the door. I've already locked the door and turned off the lights. It's kind of my signal. Go away, you know. Anyway, guy knocks on the door. I don't know who he is. I can see him from my office. And I'm going, oh, no, really? Come on. I'm just trying to get out of here and go home. But... Sucker that I am, I go to the door and I open it up and I said, hi, how are you? <laughs> and he says, hey, um, I know you don't know me. I'm just passing through. Could I talk to you for a minute? Okay. <laughs> so we go, I mean, I don't ever want you to think twice about showing up at the office and knocking on the door. But, you know, look, I'm, I'm human. And that night I was not into it. I wasn't expecting 
expecting Jesus to show up. But you see, when he's the risen Lord, he can show up when you're not expecting him to and do some pretty powerful things. So this guy comes into my office, he sits down, and I'm like, okay, let's get it on. What do you want to talk about? And he says, well, he says, I work, for, the reason I'm here is I, I work for, uh, for U-Haul, and I'm, I'm returning uh, some equipment to this area, and I just started thinking about God as I was driving around, and I saw your church building, and I thought, you know, if there's somebody there, I'm going to go in and talk to them. I mean, it's like, they, it's like Jesus handed him to me on a platter, and I said, okay, would you like to become a Christian? That fast. I said, would you like to become a follower of Jesus? Would you like to give your life to Jesus? He says, I think I would. I said, okay, well, let's pray. And I led him in a simple prayer, and he received Christ into his life. Went out the door. This time I locked it twice, and I went home for the evening. Years later, I get this letter. This guy says, hey, I'm sure you don't remember, but I'm the U-Haul guy that stopped by your office one day. I just thought I'd let you know that I'm a pastor today in the Midwest of a <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, God, look, that's the, not the only story I could tell about God showing up, Jesus showing up in my life unexpectedly and doing unexpected things. So if that bothers you, if that unnerves you, go on believing in a dead Jesus. But he ain't dead. And he's still doing pretty amazing things. Sometimes that means he's going to say things that aren't what you're looking to hear, but need to. Like the time I was, um, had my son and, and a couple of friends had come to visit us, and um, we were going to watch a movie, and it was a, well, I won't, I won't tell you what it, what it was. It was, uh, it doesn't really matter. It wasn't all that big of a deal. It was just your average run-of-the-mill action-adventure movie. Uh, rated PG-13, I'm sure, because I, I always watch for those things. Uh, Sue dismissed herself. She said, you know, I'm tired. I'm not really into things blowing up and car chases and stuff, so I'm going to go to bed. So she went up to bed. Me, my son, and his two friends sat watched this movie. They got to this part where it was pretty, pretty steamy, kind of, you know, in my opinion, a little inappropriate sexually, and I look at the other guys like this, and, I'm, and they're kind of, you, know, oh, you know, like it was no big deal. So I'm thinking, well, okay, maybe it isn't that big of a deal. And uh, we go on with the rest of the movie. And then I, I go to, um, you know, say goodnight, and I went to, to the stairs, climb the stairs to go to my, my room. And I put one foot on the first step, and I heard the Lord speak to me. Something I didn't want to hear. He said, Randy, you're taking that woman to bed with you now. And he was right. Those images, those thoughts that accompany those images were following me to my bed. It's a sacred place in my, in my life and I was about ready to pollute that in my head. The Lord stopped me. Thank God. 
I went off and I got on my knees and I did some business with the Lord and threw that trash out of my head. And Sometimes God has to confront me with things. He will, you too. But that's because he's alive. And he loves you. And he's at work. So get ready. Expect uh, surprise visits, unexpected visits. Another thing that we see here in this passage is that when Jesus is alive, he challenges us to think outside the box. Now these guys, they were professional fishermen. They thought they had this wired, only they didn't. They were living out of their ability to make their own way in the world and at some times it had served them well, this time it wasn't. And Jesus showed up and said, Hey, have you tried the right side of the boat? Listen, you and I, we live often, most of us, we live in a very small place. We define our lives very small. I'm going to go to work today. I'm going to have this for lunch. I'm going to make sure that there's something on the table for the kids when they get home tonight. And when they go to bed, I'm going to take a bath. You know, we, very small. But if Jesus is alive, he wants our lives to be much bigger. Much bigger. The Bible says that when you were in your mother's womb, he was writing your future when you didn't even have one yet. You hadn't even seen the light of day and he was already anxiously preparing you for what he had in mind for you. And most of us live so far short of that. But Jesus will show up in our lives and he will say, if he's alive, expect this. He's going to show up and say, hey, how about the right side of the boat? Like my friend Mike Schaefer. He was a legitimate gangster, mobster, made man. This was many years ago. They use those terms now, but you know what I'm talking about. You've seen movies, right? Well, this was a, he was a real one of those. And he was facing three counts that were going to take him probably for the rest of his life in jail. And um, he had one of those foxhole kind of conversion prayer things, which none of us in this room have ever prayed like this, I'm certain. He says, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll serve you. <laughs> sure enough, God took him up on it. All three charges were dropped. And my friend Mike found the nearest church that he could get, get into, fell to his knees and gave his life to Jesus. That was the smart thing, to follow up on a God who could do that. So he gave his life to Jesus, turned it around. He got married. He had kids. He was able to purchase a tire business in San Leandro. He became a solid churchman just following Jesus, living a good and godly life. And then one day, the Lord stepped in and said, Hey, Mike, have you thought about putting the net's on the right side of the boat. Here's what the Lord said to him. Michael, I want you to take this summer, I want you to take some inner city kids from Oakland to, to camp. Take them camping. Take them out of the woods. Get them out of their environment. Take them camping and share the gospel with them. And Mike did what you probably would have too. He said, Are, have you forgotten that I'm a former gangster? I know squat about the Bible and I wouldn't have the first idea how to go camping. It was silence on the other end. You ever had that experience when you argue with God? He tends to not want to argue back. <laughs> so my friend Mike says, all right. <laughs> he ended up taking some kids out into the wilderness. They probably all got 
you know, uh, poison ivy or something like that. I don't remember. But anyway, he took him out in the wilderness. Every single one of those kids gave their lives to Jesus. This was back in the late 1970s and every single summer since that day. Mike, or the organization that he started, has been taking inner-city kids camping, and they come to know Jesus out there in that wilderness experience. My friend Mike isn't alive anymore, but the organization he, he started continues to serve, and they own a camp and all of that stuff. Anyway, God will ask you to think outside of the box, and when he does, he's not just trying to mess with you. He's trying to give you a bigger life. And then John says to Peter, Peter, that's the Lord. That's the Lord. Notice it isn't, he isn't Jesus, just Jesus anymore. He isn't a philosophy. He's not an argument. He's not an issue. He's not a debate. He is the Lord. He's the Lord. He's the risen Savior. He is the Lord. This guy, uh, Simon Greenleaf, some of you probably have heard of him. He was the print, a principal founder of the Harvard Law School. You ever heard of that? Kind of a prominent uh, institution in the world that focuses on uh, law. And uh, many of our uh, highest ranking officials in this country have, uh, have historically come from the Harvard Law School. He was a world-renowned expert. He's not alive anymore, but back in the mid-1900s, he was a world-renowned expert on evidence. And he still is the go-to guy when you're trying to talk about or teach about uh, the requirements for evidence in a court of law. He, he wrote these thick, dense volumes that every law student has to deal with. <laughs> he was also an agnostic until he decided to weigh the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus in light of the laws of evidence for, uh, for pre preparation or presenting evidence in a, a court case in the court of law. This is what he said as a result of that process. According to the laws of evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence, more evidence, for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus than for just about any other event in history. He said, a person who rejects Christ... May choose, may choose to say that I do not accept it. A person who rejects Christ may choose to say that I do not accept it. He may not choose to say there is not enough evidence. And he went on and gave his life to Jesus. Look, the debate is over. Jesus is Lord. He rose from the dead. He's alive right now to meet you, to change your life. He's the Lord. If Jesus is alive from the dead, then he's the Lord. And there's only one response. Only one appropriate response. I was 14 years old when, I, when this happened to me, so you can discount it if you want as not being, you know, not mattering. To me, it mattered a lot. I was 14 years old. I was in my bedroom. I was getting ready to go to high school. I was watching all my friends kind of posture themselves and position themselves for what they were going, what uh, uh, road they were going to take in life. 
I'm going to be a surfer. I'm going to be a hippie. I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to be whatever, you know. And I'm, I'm sitting there in the midst of all this trying to figure out who am I going to be. And I had been raised in the church, but I was at that point in my life not sure I even believed in God. So this is what I did. I said, God, if you're there and you are really and truly the God of the Bible, then it doesn't make sense for me to do anything with my life except serve you with every minute that I live. Give you, what, what, what kind of sense would it make if Jesus is Lord to kind of just give him part of my life? Would you just be happy, God, with this part of my life? I'll take the rest of it, but you can have that. You can have my Sundays. Come on. If he's the Lord, he gets it all. He gets it all. There's only one response that's appropriate. Worship, surrender, obedience, everything. In fact, in Romans it says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your only reasonable response. He's the Lord, dear one. He is the Lord. If he's anything, he's the Lord. So... Peter, probably without thinking, when he hears that, he straps it on and he dives in. He's got to get to Jesus. All of a sudden, the fish don't matter, his partners don't matter, the boat doesn't matter, the cold of the water doesn't matter. He's got to get to Jesus. Because, dear one, if Jesus is alive, the shallow end of the pool won't satisfy some of you know what it's like to just kind of dangle your toes in the water, seeing if it's, you know, acceptable temperature. And I don't mean to belittle that, because I, you know, all of us have had to come to Jesus in some way like that, where we just kind of, not, not so sure, but I want this, you know, that whole thing. But when you settle the issue of the Lordship of Christ, that can't continue. It's time to take the plunge, to dive in with all that you are. And the neat thing about that is that we dis we, when in doing so, in surrendering all of our life to him, we can discover the life we were made for. This isn't the first time that Jesus showed up when Peter had worked all night and caught nothing. The first time was when Jesus first met Peter. Almost the same thing happens. And at the end of it, when Peter says, man, you get away from me. I'm a sinner and you're as, I don't know, you're not. And Jesus says, Peter, follow me. And I will make you a fisher of men. That was so so overwhelming for Peter. He'd only thought of his life in one way for his whole life, ever since he took his first breath. And now here's this guy saying, follow me, Peter, and I'm going to change everything. And when Peter had forgotten about that and decided to go back to what he once knew, there was the Lord again to say, Peter, I haven't forgotten. I know who you are. You're a fisher of men.
This is recording number 11205 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, March 27, 2016. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, Easter Impact, 